the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. Good morning to my People's Baptist Church family. Good morning to our guests and friends and even family members who have joined us for this live stream worship service coming to you from the historic sanctuary of People's Baptist Church of Boston. The title of the message today is A Date with Destiny. A Date with Destiny. Today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. Around the world, Christians are celebrating the momentous events that took place 2,000 plus years ago. Although there are many things that separate us, here is one thing about which all Christians agree. Holy Week is the center of the Christian faith. For one glorious week, Differences of language, culture, race, and doctrine are forgotten. And what a week it is. Eight days that begin with Palm Sunday and end with Easter Sunday. Two great events bracket Holy Week. The triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem and the resurrection on Easter Sunday, and in between we have the crucifixion. Without controversy, it is a holy week because it encompasses the most sacred events of the Christian faith. All the things that we hold most dear are proved to be true during this great week of our Lord in Jerusalem. Hamilton Whaley was a prosperous lawyer in Tampa, Florida. From his own story in Guidepost magazine, he was happily married, had five great kids, and a big comfortable home in an exclusive neighborhood. He was active in a good church and was making more money than he ever dreamed of. He was a partner in one of the leading law firms in the state of Florida. One day he had a minor car accident, and fortunately he was injured only slightly 
and recovered quickly. When he returned from the hospital, his phone began ringing. Mrs. Whaley, the caller would say, I just read in the Hillsborough County Bar Association Bulletin about your husband's death. I want to express my condolences. His wife Betty was naturally concerned because of the number of calls she was receiving. They finally discovered on the first page of the bulletin under a bold black headline in memoriam, his death notice. Attorney Whaley tried to joke about it, but the thought stayed with him for weeks. He realized how close he had been to being killed. He had tried to imagine what the world would be without Hamilton Whaley in it. And he began to be bothered by it. Would there be anything left behind to show that his life made a difference? He and his wife, Betty, finally decided through a series of providential events to become house parents to 20 boys ages 5 through 18 at the oldest orphanage in America, the Bethesda Home for Boys in Savannah, Georgia. Now, said Hamilton Whaley, I'm where God wants me to be, in a life that began instead of ending with my obituary. Hamilton Whaley had discovered his purpose of living. Happy is the person who knows his or her purpose in life. There was never any question in Jesus' mind about the purpose of his coming into the world. He told his disciples that the purpose of his coming was to seek and to save those who were lost. He told them on many occasions that he would die for the sins of mankind, but they either could not understand or refused to take their master's word seriously. He had a date with destiny. And Palm Sunday helps us to understand the meaning of what Jesus' mission was all about. There are four simple phrases which I hope we will find helpful in understanding uh, what Palm Sunday and Holy Week is all about. First, he had it all. In John chapter 12, 12 and 13, which gives us fewer details than the uh, Mark 11 passage that was read for us, we read, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the Passover festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Praise God. God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord. God bless the King of Israel. This procession was in recognition of Jesus being the King of Israel. Under normal circumstances, this type of parade was generally held for someone famous, a hero or general returning victorious from battle. Jesus was in a parade, being worshipped by the crowds, crying out that he was their king. Everyone's hope 
was that Jesus would establish his kingdom right there in Jerusalem. This was what the disciples were thinking about. He was being given the royal treatment. And there was no reason for them not to think that this was what they had always hoped for and what the Old Testament scriptures had pronounced. So in doing so, they were fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy recorded in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice, rejoice, people of Zion. Shout for joy, you people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He comes triumphant and victorious, but humble and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Seeing Jesus and the cheering multitude on Palm Sunday could lead one to the conclusion that this was the culminating point of his ministry. At last, he was accepted as Messiah, as King of Israel. Previous to this, Jesus had always avoided the spotlight. But Palm Sunday was different. To the multitude, he was their hero. But Jesus had a date with destiny. He was in his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He knew the crowds were fickle. He knew the leaders were plotting against him. He knew the cheers would soon turn to jeers. He knew on Sunday what would happen to him on Friday. He knew the cross lay directly in his pathway. He knew all these things, but he went to Jerusalem anyway. He had an appointment in Jerusalem, and nothing could prevent him from meeting that appointment. As the hymn goes right on, King Jesus, no man cannot hinder you. He was King of kings, Lord of lords, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. He had it all. And yet, secondly, he gave it all up. The Apostle Paul gives us a wonderful description of what Jesus gave up as God to become one with us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He had it all. He gave it all up. Why? Because he loved us so much that he became the Lamb of God to take on himself our sins. We read through the Gospels of the times when his enemies wanted to kill him and he simply walked away, disappeared from their midst. He said they had no power over him. They could not touch him until he was ready. He would determine the time and place of his death, knowing what was before him, betrayal, humiliation, suffering, and death. He chose to go to Jerusalem anyway. He was not the unwilling victim of a vicious plot. 
he carefully orchestrated the events of the day to fulfill the prophetic scriptures. Palm Sunday set into motion the events that would lead to his death by crucifixion. He had it all, and he gave it all up in order to die on the cross and pay the penalty which our sins deserved. Dr. Isaac Watts, the English hymn writer, expressed our sentiments well when he wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Perhaps someone today listening to me is wondering how Christ could possibly love them with all their faults and failures. Well, you're not alone. I do not know of anyone who is not amazed by God's love, which is simply incredible. I've come to realize that Jesus is not surprised by my failures or your failures, that he loves us just as we are with all of our faults and our sins. The good news is that he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in order to die for us on Good Friday so that we could be delivered from our faults and our failures. He knows all we have done and is ready to forgive us and to set us free from sin's bondage. Maybe life is difficult for someone listening to this message. Things are so bad for you that you're questioning God's love for you because you can't understand all that is taking place in your life or in the world around you. But look again at the parade into Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to the cross to die in your place. His love is so great that he would not allow any needless suffering in your life. The trials that you're experiencing are designed to be a blessing in your life ultimately. Even though you may not be able to understand it fully, as the Apostle Paul tells us, Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What a wonderful assurance we have as the children of a holy God. He had it all. He gave it all up. And three, he changed it all. Philippians chapter 2, 7 through 11. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So why is it that we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Because by his death, he has changed our relationship with God forever. We can now experience the unconditional love of God. It's a love which exceeds the love of a mother for her child. It's a love that surpasses the love newlyweds have for each other. It's a love that transcends the love that children have for their parents. It's a love beyond description. It changes us in ways that words cannot fully describe. There's a story about a social worker who went into the home of a family who just didn't care about their surroundings, about their cleanliness, or about the shabbiness of their lives. So one day, uh, she brought the most beautiful potted plant she could find and set it on a table in the center of their home. Gradually, as the family pondered the beauty of the plant, they decided that the conditions in their home weren't quite fit for the plant. They began making improvements, cleaning up the room, then the house, and finally, their own lives. Something like that happens when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. The things we used to do, we do no more. Life is different altogether. And so the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, uh, using the um, contemporary English version, he says, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. Jesus had it all. He gave it all up. He changed it all, and we who are Christians will never be the same again. That is why we can sing, What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. Number four. He offers it all. Christ had it all. He gave it all up. He changed it all. And now he offers it all to you and me. Listen to his invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The wonder of this invitation is that because of Christ's death and resurrection, we can now share in the victory of the risen Christ. So the power that raised him from the dead is now available to us, his disciples, so that we can live a life that is um, victorious, that is successful. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, 37 through 39, he says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation can ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If that was not enough, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 that everything that we need for life and godliness has been provided for us. And so Peter says, by his divine word, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. A pastor told a story about an elderly man in his church that he was accustomed to visiting. He noticed that the man kept a chair next to his bed. He decided to ask the man why the chair was there. The elderly man explained, some years ago, I had great difficulty staying awake when I prayed. Often I would be so weary that I would fall asleep on my knees while praying. If I managed to stay awake, I frequently found it hard to keep my thoughts from wandering. I spoke to my former pastor, and he advised me not to worry about kneeling down. He said, just sit down and put a chair opposite you. Imagine that Jesus is in the chair. Just talk to him as you would talk to a friend. The elderly man added, I have been doing that ever since. That's why the chair is beside my bed. A few days later, the man's daughter drove up to the pastor's home and asked to see him. She told him that her father had died during the night. I had no idea death was so near, she said. I had just gone to lie down for an hour. He seemed to be sleeping so comfortably. When I went back, he was dead. He hadn't moved since I saw him, except for one thing. His hand was outstretched and was lying on the empty chair beside the bed. So when you know God, you can talk to him any time of the day or night, and he's always there to listen to you and to respond to your, your, your prayers. Like that elderly man, you can touch him and you can feel his presence and you can say as our ancestors used to say, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, oh, whither shall I go? Jesus is alive and is a friend on whom we can depend. He wants to make real his presence in our lives. He who sits upon the throne at the right hand of the Father sits beside our bed when we are ill, comforts us when we are lonely, provides for us when we are in need, strengthens us when we are weak, walks beside us when we are well, and calls us to enter into the joy of his salvation. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. It's a celebration of Christ who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Christ who was crucified and Christ who walks with us today. 
Are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to entrust yourself to him, even when the present and the future seem so confusing? Are you willing to serve him until that day when he calls you from labor to reward? I'm so glad today that I can say without a doubt that he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. He was pierced for my guilt. He was tortured for my shortcomings. He was beaten for my wrongs. And he was crucified for my sins. And because of that, I can testify that he is the fountain of my joy. He is the rock of my redemption. He is the basis of my belief the surety of my salvation, and the fountain of my forgiveness. No wonder then that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. No wonder then that he sits at the right hand of the Father with all power and authority. No wonder then that he will have the spotlight of eternity focused on him. And no wonder then that we shall never grow tired or weary of expressing our love and devotion to him throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www pbcboston.org and tune in every Saturday morning at 10.30 for another inspiring message of hope and faith.